Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for being here today. I'm so glad that you are with us today. I hope you enjoyed that time of worship. Uh, I know that I always enjoy it. I enjoy it best when we're together, but I'm thankful for the opportunities to worship even at a distance, and I hope it was a blessing to you. Today, we are jumping into a brand new series. By the way, my name is Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, at Simple Church, and uh, we're jumping into a new series today called Neighborliness, and we are exploring the subject of finding the beauty of God across dividing lines. Fighting the beauty of God across dividing lines. Now, when we listen to that statement, it sounds really beautiful. It sounds like, man, that is something that we really desire. It's something that we want in our hearts is to discover the beauty of God that exists there. Because here's the thing, the beauty of God, what we need to understand about it, ex- exists it's and, found, and is found in all skin colors. It exists and is found in all neighborhoods and in all cultures. God has made all people, and he's made us all intentionally with diversity. And so the desire to discover the beauty of God, that sounds really great to us, and we would probably talk about it and say, yep, let's do that, but do we do this on a regular basis? Do we have a desire that is strong enough to reach across the dividing lines to discover the beauty of God? Because I would say and what's sad to me is it's not really ref- that desire is not really reflected in our world today. It's not really reflected in our church today. That, that there, we've got a lot of work to do. And the reason we have a lot of work to do in this area is because the enemy has been so successful at dividing us, and even so much so as going so far as to make us afraid of one another based on the differences and creating, and, and, and in effect, has created these dividing lines. But here's what we have to focus on, and here's where we have to land, is that God created us all, not by accident, not by a curse. That's not why we're different. God created us all in diversity because he sees beauty in diversity, in much the same way that if you were to look at a kaleidoscope. A kaleidoscope is beautiful because of its different shapes sizes, and colors. If a kaleidoscope was handed to you and you looked at it and it was all just black and white, there would be no beauty. One color, monochromatic, you would not declare that this is beautiful. You find beauty in the diversity and the colors that exist. And in order for us as Christ followers to see the beauty that God has designed and created, we have to learn to step across these dividing lines that we have have succumbed to, these things that we have accepted in our lives, and ultimately bring all of our efforts toward bringing all of the colors together. In fact, when you look at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, it talks about the body of Christ. That means the church, the people, and that on that day, in the end, when we're all in heaven together, there's this beautiful picture of every tribe and every nation coming together and worshiping God. That is a beautiful picture, but that is not what we see happening today here on this earth. Our homes, our communities, our social circles, and our churches, sad enough, lack the beauty, which is the diversity that God intended. 
So here's what I'm praying today. I'm praying today that we have the courage to explore the idea of neighborliness as God designed it. And our, my hope is, is that I'm praying for that courage because here, as we go through this, we're going to uh, discover and uncover some fears that we have. We're going to uncover some dividing lines that we have accepted and that we've drawn or we've allowed others to draw for us and we've abided by. And we're going to learn how to step across those dividing lines so that we can discover the beauty that God has created so that we can learn how to, as Jesus calls us to, to love our neighbors as God had loved them. And I have to be honest with you and tell you that my heart has been broken the past couple months. As we have, have, have been watching the news, of things have been playing out, my heart has been broken. And I've been studying, I've been leaning into, I've been listening, I've been stepping into uncomfortable conversations, reading book after book to try to understand what is going on in our world today. And I would say one of the main issues that you and I likely struggle with, because I'm included in this, comes to this specific subject, and it is what we know as in, un, or inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. It is the psycho, psychological phenomenon that causes you to miss things that are right in front of your eyes. Uh, a few weeks back, my, my wife and daughter and I went to, on a trip to Chicago. I had been asked to come and to share my, my personal journey at a, a local church there. Uh, from, from a mental health standpoint, he felt like, man, this would be a great message to share in the middle of a pandemic when people seem to be struggling with their mental health. Aaron, would you come and speak and share God's word and his truth and how it's impacted your life and how you've walked through I was like, yeah, absolutely. So my wife and my daughter go. And we're on this six and a half hour drive and we're headed to Chicago. And I keep hearing from the backseat, I keep hearing this groaning. Oh my gosh, there's another one. And no, oh, it's the bane of my existence. I have no idea what my daughter is talking about. But if you know my daughter, Kasaya, you know that when she likes something, she loves it. It is, it is, it's, it's mint. When she hates something or dislikes something, she will let you know. And she, for whatever reason, was expressing a, a, a sincere distaste for something. And I didn't understand what it was. I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, it's the Kia Souls. <laughs> It was a car that had her so upset. And so, oh, the bane of my existence. And not just the Kia Soul, that version of the car, but a green Kia Soul. She said, oh, I hate, I was like, what, what is wrong with the Kia Soul? Oh, I hate them. No explanation, by the way. And the aggressive way she was talking about it, I didn't bother to ask why. I just can't, I hate them. I can't stand them. And I just see them everywhere. Everywhere I go, I see the green Kia Soul. Now, I had never even noticed could not tell you that I've ever laid eyes on a Kia Soul, that make or that model, not once. And so I, I started to think, like, as I'm researching this, like, like, how long has the Kia Soul been around? Because I thought, you know, hey, my, maybe it's only been around a year. Maybe it's a newer car. Nope. Kia Soul's been around since 2004. It's at least been in the U.S. from what I can determine since 2009. That's over a decade. Almost 1.3 million of those kinds of cars have been sold here in the U.S. in the last 10 years. And how did I never see it? How did I never, ever notice this Kia Soul? A green Kia Soul, let alone. Well, and this green Kia Soul, by the way, is like this ugly puke green kind of color, right? Sorry if you drive that green Kia Soul. I apologize. I don't know what to say about it. It's my story, and I'm telling it. So, <laughs> but the thing is, is now that I've seen the green Kia Soul, now that she's pointed out her distaste about it, I see them everywhere. 
And I'm not sure how I didn't see it, except that you can understand this now, that inattentional blindness, it's, it's just stuff, you miss stuff that are right in front of your eyes. It's because your brain is wired to save and conserve energy. In other words, there's stuff that you see on a regular basis that your brain does not identify as important to you. It's not important to your safety. It's not important to your health. It's not important to your future. And so you can see things that your brain does not grab a hold of and lock away within it, in your mind. It doesn't hold on to it. It has to have been important to you for your, for your uh, survival or whatever that might be. So inintentional blindness is stuff, you don't see it because you didn't need to see it. But the thing is, is once you do see it, you wind up seeing it all the time. And so for inintentional blindness, one of the, the things that you might not see is racist ideas and policies. You, you might not see that those exist because you don't need to see them because they're not impacting you or, or affecting you. What about inequalities in society? Or what about your personal racism? Like you would say, well, I'm not a racist. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't have racism within you that you maybe just have never seen it before or opinions or biases within ourselves. These things are dividing lines and we just don't see them because our brain has never had to pay attention to it. We've never been impacted by it. We've never had to survive it. We've never had to walk through it, therefore feel it, or even identify it or recognize it. Essentially, what is happening is our brains have tricked us. We've cast aside what we don't need to see. It's called inattentional blindness. Now, consider this through the lens of loving your neighbor. If you don't know about systemic racism, racism that exists and people experience through systems that are run by sinful people, by the way, or oppression or economic inequality, it might be because your brain didn't identify it as a need to know. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once you've seen it, a choice has to be made about how you're going to respond to it. You're going to either choose to engage it or you're going to choose to ignore it. There's no middle ground. There's no other choice here. You're either going to choose to do that, to engage it, or to not. Now, once seen, you may choose to ignore it because you're not ready to either engage in that relationship because if you identify systemic racism or inequalities or injustices that exist in those dividing lines, if you identify them and you find yourself on the wrong side of the line, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We don't want to admit, oh my goodness, I have racism within me. Because if you admit you have racism within you, it makes you feel like you're a racist, like you're somebody that, that participated in lynchings and, and you're somebody who participated and is okay with racism. And you may not be, but you may have some within you and just not be aware of it. I do. I have racist ideas and policies that I'm just not aware of. And that's why, that's why I'm, I'm willing to deal with them and at least willing to say, I do have them. I'm, I, they're within me. They have to be. I can't see what I can't see. But there's another reason that we'll push against this. There's a reason we'll choose to ignore crossing these dividing lines, and it's because of implicit bias. Implicit bias refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, our actions, and decisions in an unconscious manner. In other words, you may choose to ignore this because of an implicit bias that exists within you. That, that an implicit bias is stereotypes, essentially, that are taught or caught that impact your thinking, your decision-making, and your actions, and they play out in your life unconsciously. 
They play out in ways that you are not consciously, intentionally meaning for them to play out. That's how, how a lot of the racism that was, in, that was within me over the years has come out. I've said something and I said, oh my gosh, that's racist. Or I've said something and somebody said, you know, that's really not okay for you to say. Or I've made a joke about something and they, I've had people look at me and say, that, that's not funny. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't realize. I'm so sorry. There's, there's these things that I was either taught or that I caught. And you have the same things as well. Maybe you grew up in an environment at home, or maybe it was a school you went to, or a community that you were part of, where there were people within that community that referred to other people that were different than you as those people, or they, or them. And what happened was, when you were in that environment, is a dividing line was created. It was caught, even if it wasn't taught. Even if you were never told, hate this kind of people group because of their ethnicity or their background or their economic status, whatever. Even if you were never taught that, if you heard and it was implied, that's why it's an implicit bias, you've picked it up. And unconsciously, this implicit bias lurks there. It hides out, undiscovered, waiting to present itself in ways that we don't even see. And if we're not careful about that, We'll pass something like that on to our kids. That's why we must be willing to look within to see these things. Because, guys, I'm telling you, it is worth the discomfort. Because in Genesis, in the very beginning, when God says, let us make man, he says, let us make man in our image. And our lens at looking at everyone, the they's and the those, the ones that are different from us, those that we would say are across the dividing line, must be through a lens that they are all God's kids and they are all loved by him. And if he loves them, then we need to be able to love them as well. That's why it's important for us to identify the dividing lines. Because these dividing lines are what are preventing us from being neighbors the way that Jesus called us to be. And here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for you to commit to this four-week journey. This is a series that will go on four weeks. This is week one. And I'm asking you to commit to listening. I'm asking you to commit to leaning in to the discomfort. I'm asking you to commit to being here to hear these messages and being prayerful about them. Here's why. Because there's beauty on the other side of these dividing lines that you'll never experience if you don't lean in, if you don't find the courage to look within yourself and step across them. So here's what I want to do today. Today, I want to give you two takeaways as we get started. Here it is. The first one is I want you to learn to look to God, and the second one is to look to each other. We're going to look to God because as we look to God, this is the first part of, of what we do here as a church is we, you'll get to know him because as you get to know God, as you're looking to him, man, God will just captivate and capture your heart. He'll capture your mind. And as you're in relationship with him, getting to know him, what winds up happening is that you become transformed. You become a new person. You become uh, new in all that you do. And here's what winds up happening is that you learn to love things that God loves. As you walk and continue in relationship with him, you learn to love things that God loves. This actually happens in every single one of your loving relationships. The, the, of the people that you love. For me, I'm in a loving relationship with my wife. I love her to pieces, man. I love her, love her, love her. And this girl, we both of us have varied, uh, varied interests in which, of which both of us have come to love and enjoy our hobbies and the things that we like to do. My wife has recently become 
uh, enamored with the idea of DIY farmhouse. Someone say uh, farmhouse? Crafting. And so what that means is, and, and the part that I love in this is that she is doing it all through Dollar Tree items and Dollar General and all these, these dollar stores. She's going and finding items. She's very inspired in a way that I am not, but totally enjoy that she is. And she creates these items, takes something that was trivial, something that it was not, and makes it into something else. She takes something that was worth very little and makes it worth a lot, which I think there's just a whole lot of beauty and a whole lot of, like there's a message in there somewhere. Maybe she'll preach it at some point in time, but, but I just think that's a beautiful picture of what God does in our lives. But she takes these Dollar Tree items and she turns them into something beautiful that people are fawning over. She's part of a Facebook group, and she said, I don't know if she said it just this week. She said, I don't know if you know this or not, but I've got like a thousand likes on that, and that's only been up for a day. I'm kind of famous in this group. And I was like, you go, girl. I'm an encourager, right? So I'm just encouraging her. I'm like, I'll go with you. In fact, long before she became famous in this group, she's been doing DIY projects around our house for years taking furniture and turning it, you know, antiquing it, upcycling it, recycling it, whatever you want to call that. And she's just got a love and a passion for it. And I developed a love for it as well. I, in fact, one of our date nights, I spent the entire night running her around to four different dollar stores so that she could find, dear Lord, a butter dish, a butter dish that she wanted to do. And when we found them butter dishes, you better believe that we bought every last one that was on them shelves because they weren't at the first three. But bless God, we found it at the fourth one. But that was our night, and I loved every minute of it. And I'm like, babe, people are asking for tutorial videos. I'll help you with that. I'll spend my time and energy making you even more famous and maybe even making you a little bit of cheddar on the side. You know what I'm saying? Because YouTube pays for all them views and stuff. So anyway, we're strategizing. She has craft nights, and I'm there talking to, to some of her friends that she has over for craft nights and staining little bricks and blocks. And I love it. And I love it not because I love it. I love it because she loves it. I've learned to love what she loves. And when you're in a relationship with God and you look to him and, and you're enjoying that relationship, you learn to love what he loves. You say, well, Aaron, what is that? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. That's right. God loves the world. He loves the people of this world. And he, since he loves people, you learn to love what he loves and you also learn to love how he loves it. And in order for us to love people the way that God loves people, we've got to uncover these dividing lines. We've got to uncover the things that keep us from loving him that way. We've got to uncover the fears that exist, the implicit biases that exist. We've got to uncover the inattentional blindnesses that exist in order to love the way God loves. You, you, you can't do one without the other. You cannot love God and not love people. You cannot love people and not. It's just not, it's just not possible. So let me show it to you here in Scripture. We're going to go to Mark 12, verse 28, and it starts off, and it says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. So here's the scenery. Jesus has got a big crowd around him like he always does everywhere Jesus goes. People follow him, and in this crowd are people who are, are looking to see miracles, people that are looking for words of life, people that are just listening. And among those people that come in are religious leaders of the day, and there are some religious leaders of the day that are, um, are, are teachers of the religious law because there were over 600 religious laws that the Jews needed to observe. And they were very, very meticulous. All of them were very meticulous. And these religious leaders or these religious uh, teachers of the law were needed uh, to help the people in that way. And, and so there's religious lawyers, essentially, is what is happening. We've got lawyers hanging out in the crowd with the common folk and, uh, and these guys, by the way, because they were experts in the law, 
uh, they, they oftentimes had a lot of power in their communities. They had influence and they had authority. And this expert approaches Jesus and is listening to what Jesus says. And when he listens to Jesus, he sees that Jesus is a worthy opponent. And so he kind of steps into the ring to challenge him. And as he steps into this debate, he is, he's, going to, uh, he, he's essentially going to create a, a, a fight, right? And kind of as he does, I can almost hear the bell ringing, ding, ding, maybe the opening scene of West Side Story. Everybody starts snapping. banana na na banana na 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 Right? So they're, they're about to throw down. And so he, he says, because he's heard what Jesus has said before, and he realized that Jesus has answered well. So he, he likes what Jesus has to say. And so he asks him a question that, that could have been, his intent could have been to trick or trap Jesus. But he asked the question of, of all the commandments, because remember, there's over 600 of them, which is the most important? Well, Jesus decides to, to, if it's bait, he takes it. He responds to it because there's a lot of times Jesus was asked questions that he never answered. He just responded with another question. This one, he actually answers it. And he responds with a common Jewish prayer and he opens up with these words. He says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. So there's, there's one and only God. And... You must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So there's one God, and you've got to love him completely, is what Jesus is saying. That's what he's, he's doing. He says, this is what you've got to do. This is the most important commandment. Now, pause here right, right for one second. I think we can do a good job talking about this verse right here. I think we've got this verse on T-shirts. I think it's on the covers of some of your Bibles. I think some of you have this hanging on your walls. I think some of you have this hanging in a place of inspiration, maybe at your job, or maybe it's on one of the little calendars that you do a daily tear off, and you've seen this verse, and you go, yeah, that's really good. I agree with that. We should do that, right? And, and even right now, as I'm reading it, yes, Pastor, yeah, I believe, I believe that. That's true. That's really good. But we walk away from messages like this after having talked about it, and maybe we tell somebody, yeah, that's, that's the way it ought to be, Love God with all parts of you. But we walk away from a message, and do we do this for real? Is this really reflected in the way that we love God and that we honor him in the treatment of our friends? If you're an employer or, or a business owner, it, do you honor God and love God in the way that you treat your employees or the way that you hire your employees? What about in the way you treat your spouse or your family members, strangers, your neighbors you know and you don't know. What about your enemies? Is God honored? Is your love reflected in the way that you behave in those arenas? And if not, what keeps us from doing this? Because this is the most important commandment. Jesus said all the law, everything, this is the most important one. There's only one God, one true God, and you got to love him this way. Why aren't we getting this right? We're supposed to look to God first. Know him ought to be our primary focus and to love him completely. All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Do we love him this way? I know it's challenging. But Jesus doesn't stop there though. He lists another law that is most important. And he says this. He said, the second is equally important. The lawyer just asked for the most important. It is not possible for two things to be equally important. There is either one winner or there is not. That's like saying a Chipotle burrito with white rice, pinto beans, 
some uh, uh, barbacoa, some mild salsa and hot salsa, and cheese is, this, is just as equally as good as a burrito at Qdoba with the same ingredients. It's not. They, they are not. There is one that is king, and it is Chipotle, by the way, just throwing it out there. I don't mean to slander anybody in any way, shape, or form. It's just my preference. It is best. Chipotle's my life. They are not equal by any standards. There is one that is more important that is the best. There can only be one, just like in Highlander. But Jesus says, nope, there's two. He breaks the mold. And his response is staggering because he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he lists it this way because here's the thing. When you love God, you learn to love what he loves. And this will be a natural outflow. That when you love God as you're supposed to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, with every bit of you, then you will do this. That's why they are equal. Because this will be done if the other one is done. Loving God with all of us leads to this itself. And loving God, here's what happens. When you love God, you learn to love people the way he loves people. It will cause you to step across dividing lines out of curiosity to hear people's stories, to learn who they are, it's a gro- it'll be a growing passion within you to discover the beauty that lies in the diversity of the people that God has created. You'll discover a whole new level of understanding of culture, of people groups, by caring for them, by carrying their weights, learning how they've experienced systemic oppression and injustices in their lives. Because if you can't, and if I can't, Love a neighbor like I want to be loved because it says love your neighbor, not just love your neighbor and that, that ends there. It's as you love yourself. It's love your neighbor as yourself. That's as if they were you. You must love them in that way. And if I can't love a neighbor like I want to be loved, I've got to go back to loving God with all of me. There must be something that is off there. So here's my question for you. How do you respond when a loved one is attacked? If, you were, if, if, if your child or your spouse or your parent were right in front of you and somebody came up and attacked them, what would you do? How would you respond? Would you dive into that foray? Would you dive into the battle and, and fight off the person that was attacking them? Of course you would. You wouldn't let them sit there and suffer, not right in front of you, not if you knew that it was happening. And it's the same way. It must be the same way. That if you would do that for someone you love, a loved one, you must do it for your neighbor, somebody that's different than you, somebody that is across those dividing lines that we've accepted or created ourselves. We must be out there fighting, grieving with, carrying the burdens of, and walking with people who are not like us. Just like we would our loved ones, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I understand this isn't foo-foo, feel-good Christianity. I get that. It's tough stuff. But this is the cross that Christ called us. He said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. Like this, this is it. It's not always pleasant. It's not always fun. But it's necessary and it's part of the journey. It leads to the beauty on the other side of the pain of crossing those dividing lines. You will see the beauty of what God has planned. And here's the deal. 
because of this stuff that might reside within us, we can't see what we can't see. We can't understand and identify it on our own. Can't know what we don't know. We've got to involve God into this process. And that's why David prayed this. And it's a, and it's a verse and a prayer that I shared here recently with us as a church. It says, David prayed this, search me, O God, and know my heart. He says, search me. He says, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, why does David pray this? David is asking for God to point out anything you want to, God. Point out anything that in me that offends you. Now, he's not asking God to do this so he can repent for the things he knows about. If David was aware of something, he could have just said, God, forgive me for my lust. God, forgive me for my envy. God, forgive me for coveting. God, forgive me, whatever it might have been. God, forgive me for that. But he's not asking that. He said, God, reveal something in me. This is the prayer of inattentional blindness. This is the prayer of implicit bias. This is the prayer. God, show me anything in me that is offensive to you. Help me see, God, what I cannot see on my own. It must become our prayer. Why? Because there are things within us that offends God. And it's called sin. If you don't know what sin I'm talking about in these dividing lines, racism with its racist ideas and policies is a sin. Economic injustice is a sin. Systemic oppression is a sin. It's a sin. We have to stop explaining away these things and open our hearts and ask God to show us because we may not see it on our own. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Here's the truth today. I cannot love God with all my heart if I do not love my neighbor. If we leave these things unchecked within us, we cannot love our neighbor the way that we are supposed to. We must go back to God. We must look to God and ask him for help. God, what offends you within me? Show me and lead me. Now, like I said, I just did a message on this whole, on this whole uh, verse that it was in, within our Dangerous Prayer series. If you did not catch that, go back a few weeks, listen to the whole message because it's powerful. But within the context of us looking at how do we neighbor, how do we, how do we, how, what is the idea and the concept of neighborliness, how is that affected by us having our hearts searched? Well, it looks like this. If going to love God, if we're going to love God with all of ourselves, we must have him search our hearts so that we can then do the second part, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. So I can already feel some of the pushback here. You say, well, all right, well, Aaron, who is my neighbor? Let's just talk about that because we keep using that word. Great. Do me a favor. If you're at a watch party or if you're sitting with other people right now, wherever you're at, turn to your neighbor and ask them, who is my neighbor? Go ahead and just do it. Turn to somebody right now. Who is my neighbor? See? In doing that, by the way, I didn't mean to trick you, but I just said turn to your neighbor. And who did you turn to? Somebody sitting right next to you. You turned to somebody within your area and in your space, and you said, who is my neighbor? You turned to your neighbor. The answer is your neighbor is not just somebody who lives next to you, lives across the street, lives next door, lives catty corner from you. That's not who we're talking about. They don't have to live next to you. It's quite possible that the person you just turned to and said, who is my neighbor, to that person doesn't live with you at all. And yet, when I said turn to your neighbor, you turn to him. It is somebody who is nearby you. 
Now, that's our definition. That's a Webster's dictionary definition. You need to understand that the word neighbor that Jesus used is very broad and very different because your Bible is written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. When we translate it, the translators find the best word that we can understand, but you need to understand that sometimes those words explode with meaning. And the word that Jesus used for neighbor is not just used by some, is not meant by somebody that is nearby, but is, it is about anyone who is an image bearer of God. And who is that? It literally, literally means your fellow human beings. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, you might as well say, and love your fellow human beings as yourself. That means all of your neighbors in your community where you live, everybody, you can look out your house and see all them houses. Those are your neighbors, but it's all of humanity. That is who we are supposed to love as we love ourselves. We must love God with all of ourselves, and then we must love our neighbor, everyone, all of humanity, as ourselves. Now, back to our story. The teacher, in response to what Jesus says, he says, the teacher of religious law replied, well said, teacher. It's almost like he's looking at Jesus and saying, good job, little buddy. You did real good there. Could you even imagine Jesus Christ, like the Savior of the universe, is standing in front of you, and you're giving him a little pat on the head. And he says, you have spoken the truth by saying that there's only one God and no other. In other words, that's our common ground. We both agree. Yep. There's only one God and no other. He goes on to say, and I know, he says, I know. This is important. He says, I know. He didn't say, I feel it. He says, I know. It is important to love God, so love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. So I, I agree with you. I know these things. And I, and I think I'm pointing, the reason I'm pointing out the word I know is because we know lots of things. We know lots of things. We've got a lot of data that we have stored up into our minds. But I will say this today, and I've been saying it for the last seven years as a pastor, that you and I are educated far beyond our level of obedience. What that means is we've got a whole lot of head knowledge, but we ain't doing nothing with it. We aren't allowing it to impact us, to change who we are, so that we change our behaviors and change the way we act towards others. We've got a whole lot of knowledge. We know some things. And this guy's saying, I know it. I know it. And this is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. He's like, Jesus, I know these things. I'm agreeing with you. And Jesus comes back and responds, realizing how much the man understood. He knew it. Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But he didn't say, that's the kingdom of God. He said, you're not far from it. In other words, he might as well have just said, dude, you're missing it. And you're not missing it by much, though. You've missed it by 18 inches. Because what he knew has to go from here and must drop down the 18 inches to his heart. He's not far off. We know stuff. But unless it goes from, from a category of we know this to this is in our heart and we are passionate about it. That this is in our heart and it's affecting us. It's affecting the way we sleep. It's affecting the way we pray. It's affecting the way that we love. Until knowledge moves to this place, it will never impact and affect our hands and what we do. And Jesus said, you're close. You're not far. But you missed it. And I think this is the saddest part of the story. Because there's a lot of us as Christians, we're so close. We know stuff. But when it comes to allowing God to search our hearts, will refuse because it might make us uncomfortable at what he might reveal. 
it might make us uncomfortable to have to confess a sin, to make an apology, to make amends with someone, to cross a dividing line and love somebody who is different than us. We're uncomfortable with this space. We're uncomfortable in this place. This is why it's sad to me, because he was so close, but he missed it. And I don't want to ever be said about me that I was so close to God's way of doing things, that I was so close to God's heart, but I was not far off. I don't want it said about me. I want it to hit. I want it to hit my heart. And I want it to change and challenge me. I want it to change my behavior, the way that I talk. I want it to impact my attitude. I want it to impact me, and I want to have an impact in the community and my world and people's lives as a result. How about you? God is not after our minds. He's after all of us. He wants every bit of us. And he wants us to love him with all of ourselves. Our minds, our hearts, our relationships, our sexuality, our finances, all of us. And once he has all of us, what will happen is he'll transform us so that we can make the greatest impact in this world, crossing dividing lines to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus says these two things are the most important things. Nothing compares to them. So we have to look to God. Let loving God and in that relationship teach us how to love the people that he loves. God, search us. Search us. Reveal any, any sinful ways inside us. Anything that's offensive to you. I love you that much. Am I hurting you? Am I offending you in any way? How can I be better? And then, looking to each other. Looking to each other. That means that, that not others that are like us. It means all of humanity. Looking to others so that you can begin loving them, serving them, carrying the weights that they carry, learning their stories. Because if you're truly looking to God, you'll begin looking to others to love them. Neighborliness is finding the beauty of God across dividing lines. Let's pray today. Father, today I pray for the church. That's the church, the capital C, not simple church, but of course everyone listening today. I pray for the church, God, that we would have the courage to cross these lines, to find others that are different from us, to find, uh, find them and be willing to explore those relationships, to listen, lean in, to grow. And as we do, God, I pray that you would open our world to us, that you would help us to see the inattentional blindness and the implicit biases within us. God, my prayer today is that you would search each and every single one of us and real, reveal within us our, our racism, the, the systemic injustices that we participate in, the oppression that we take part in, the stuff that, that, that we see or that we, are, we can help or we can fight against. God, help us to see people. Help us look to others and love them, Lord, as we love ourselves. Now, if you're with us today and you, you don't have a relationship with God, I need you to understand something. God loves you. This Jesus that I'm talking about, he was sent to demonstrate God's level of love for you, to show you how much he loves you. He came simply to let you know one thing, and I'm here to tell you one thing today, that you may feel this dividing line between you and God, but you need to understand you belong on the other side of that dividing line with God. That dividing line is caused by our sinfulness. And if we want to deal with that today, the way that that sinfulness is dealt with is through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our sins. He died. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He's the only one who ever did. 
you and I were born steeped in sin, divided from God, but Jesus paid a price so that we could be forgiven and restored into that relationship. You belong in a relationship with God. And today, the way that you can, you can enjoy that is simply by accepting Christ. It doesn't matter what, where you were born. It doesn't matter your skin color. It does not matter the mistakes that you've made, the successes you have in your life, your marital status, your gender. It does not matter. All the differences that you feel like keeps you on the other side of the dividing line. All of those things are, are what make this body of believers diverse and beautiful. You belong here. Your story is God's story. So come on, today, won't you just accept Jesus? Just, say, just accept Jesus. He's got a full and fulfilled life. He wants to offer you eternity in heaven and a place where you can belong, a people that you belong to. If you're going to accept this, accept this gift today and, and receive Jesus as Lord of your life, there's in the chat box, if you're in our online campus today, there's a button that's coming up right now that says, I'm raising my hand. I'm saying yes to Jesus. So if you'll do that right now, click that button. Let us all know. We're going to celebrate with you in a moment. Nobody's going to single you out. Nobody's going to make fun of you and go, finally, they're finally here, those heathens. Nobody's going to do that. We're going to celebrate that today you made a decision to cross a dividing line yourself. So be bold, be courageous, and let's pray this prayer together. Hit the button, say, Jesus, I need you. Today I'm stepping across the line, and I'm doing that because of what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit and show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, heaven's having a party, and so are we. Welcome to the family. We love you so much, and we're so thankful that you've made this decision today. When you click that button, a uh, Connect card probably popped up on your screen. If you'll fill out that Connect card, that gives us an opportunity to connect with you as a fellow family member. We would love to, love to, love to help you on your spiritual journey, even if you're somewhere across the world and not here in Reynoldsburg or nearby so that you can get to us. We would love to, to help you get a Bible. We would love to help you take your next steps of faith and uh, get you connected with a local church. If you fill out the connection card, let us know that. We will get you connected because you're not meant to do this alone. You're meant to belong and be a part of a family of God. Amen, everybody. All right, well, here, as we wrap up, I just want to give us a, a quick opportunity. Uh, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings at this time. We do this through digital means at this time, but you can also mail it in, and the information is coming up on the screen right now. You can use our website to give. You can also use our, our app to give, uh, or you can text, which is my preferred method. Eight, text any dollar amount to the number 84321, and, uh, and there's a little setup on the first time you do that, but each time thereafter, uh, it is easy to give, and we thank you for your faithfulness and for your generosity. Uh, so please take a moment to do that as the Lord leads you. A couple things I want to make sure you know about before we uh, say goodbye for this week is Grow Group started this past week, but I promise you that is not a reason for you to not get in a group this semester. So look online, go to our website, or you can look on our app, but there are groups that are still open and available that would love to have you be a part of one. So sign up for a group. You can still get in one. Even if you missed the meet and greet first week, you're fine. Jump in, be bold, step across the dividing line here and join a group of people that I know are excited to meet you. 
Uh, so those are still available. Also, this Thursday is Third Thursday. We do leadership lessons for life, and you are invited. Even if you don't hold a leadership role here at our church or in the marketplace where you work or in your home or in any environment, I believe that you have influence, and influence is what makes you a leader. So let us come or come and let us show you. Uh, we're meeting right here this Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. in our online campus, and I will be live walking you through a leadership lesson. Would love to connect with you there. So join us, and then also gather at the park. This is our first public gathering since uh, COVID started in March, or the pandemic started in March, and uh, we are uh, going to be gathering at Huber Park at 6 p.m. So from 6 to 7 p.m., we're going to worship together, take communion together. Uh, there's a link being posted right now if you want to get baptized or dedicate a child. Those are the only two things you need to register for. So if you need to register and would like to, to have a child dedicated or get baptized, click the link. But otherwise, you can just plan to join us. We are excited to worship together safely, social distanced, wearing masks and and. Uh, open identifiers to identify whether you want hugs or you'd like people to keep a distance. Uh, we're we're going to do all that. We're going to celebrate together. I'm going to give a message. We're going to have a time of fellowship and worship together. You don't want to miss it. You want to join us. That's again, September 26th. Gather at the park, Huber Park, right here in Reynoldsburg at 6 p.m. for a public worship session. Bring your own lawn chairs or blankets to sit on because uh, 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 you'll need that. So, All right, everybody. Hey, listen, I hope you have an incredible week. My prayer is that God does a work in you this week as we go into week two of our series called Neighborliness next week. God bless you. Invite a friend. We'll see you here.